In Revelation 17, I believe this context really kind of shows us, um, and those of you who have been part of the Revelation study at the Murrays know that primarily I look at the book of Revelation uh, as indicative of uh, the destruction of Jerusalem and uh, the apocalypse as it's mentioned, as it's looked at uh, in this book, the big event seems to be that. But it's not exclusively about that. For example, in the context of what I'm going to be reading in verse 14 of Revelation 17, I think what we're talking about there is in terms of the beast being Rome and uh, those who follow the beast are those who are going on with Rome, going along with that. In verse 14, it reads, talking about those who give their power and authority to the beast are these kings that are serving as puppet kings under Rome. And it says in verse 14, these will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Again, I believe that primarily this passage is looking at uh, what I would see as the major Roman persecution of the church that really begins in earnest in the second century. But I picked this verse sort of to kind of bring about our thoughts in this final lesson about the kingdom this morning. Really thankful for uh, the opportunity to share these this series of lessons. Originally, I put these lessons together for a meeting in Selfville, Alabama, and uh, uh, the reaction there was, was very positive. But, you know, you really could make an endless series of lessons on the kingdom because it is such a huge... Uh, 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 vast topic to consider this. But the reason I bring up this verse is, let's just think about this in general. You've got, the, 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 you've got basically the profile of the king himself, right? The lamb will overcome them. And of course, the big theme of Revelation is overcoming and the fact that God wins. That's one of the most important things about that book. But the idea that this lamb will overcome them. Why does he overcome them? He is Lord of lords and he is king of kings. He is in control. And he is in control right now of his kingdom. And ultimately, I think this shows any kind of resistance against the kingdom of Christ is ultimately going to fail. But not only do we have uh, ideas in this verse about the king, we've got ideas about his kingdom, the kingdom citizens themselves. They're called, they're chosen, and they're faithful. The idea of faithfulness is part and parcel of what defines a kingdom citizen. What happens once we have decided to trust the king? When we begin to know him, we begin to trust him, we obey him. Well, there is a maintenance, there's a maintaining that obedience, there's a maintaining that sense of knowing him, there's a maintaining that trust, that faith that we have in him. And just a few basic things today, I may not be able to get to everything, this is a longer lesson, but uh, we want to consider what is our true love supposed to be? What should be God's place in our heart? Where should the king be in our estimation? We need to consider that the eternal kingdom, as we've talked about before, the eternal kingdom will only be made up of the faithful. And we want to talk about what that faithfulness does for us and what God provides for us, the, the rewards that he has for us. And there are different ways that we look at those rewards. We look at those rewards maybe in a negative light, in a sense, but we also look at them in a positive sense. And we just want to consider these things today together.
First of all, as I said, there's really only, when we think about being faithful to the king, there's only room for one true love in the heart of a Christian. I appreciate one of the things that Tom Holly has, has emphasized before, the thought that you know, if he was to tell his wife that she's number one, well, she might begin to think, well, who's number two and who's number three? And the idea is that you've got this list maybe that you're going by. I'm afraid that sometimes that's what people think of when they think of God as being number one in their heart. Well, who's number two? The problem is when number two, when number one falls, we're going to go to number two in our minds. And so we have to have God in a place where he actually is untouched. We have to have an altar in our heart that is separate from everything else and not just a list. He has to be the only one in our life. Love for the king. Do we love our king? Well, it has to be manifested in faithfulness. Another statement from Revelation 2.10, faithful unto death. Jesus says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Revelation 12.11, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. In chapter 12, that's talking about the greater battle against the dragon, the battle against Satan that goes on even today. And so how do we overcome that? Well, we overcome it by the blood of the Lamb, the grace of God, the, the, the flowing of that blood that we depend upon, by the word of that testimony that gives us the truth about that blood. And, of course, we do not love our lives to the death. The, the sense that Jesus just said, whoever loves his life will lose it, but he who loses it for his sake will gain it. And so that's the, manifest, that's the manifested faithfulness we need to have. We communicate that. How do we communicate that? We communicate it in confession. Uh, Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him also I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. We need to remember that Jesus is loyal to his disciples. And this is an ongoing thing, right? We confess Jesus before men at the time of salvation, but the, the New Testament talks about confession as an ongoing thing. We're intend, uh, continually confessing Jesus. And uh, anybody who's willing to own up to a relationship with this king can, of course, count on his willingness to own them before God. There's this relationship here. Only those who refuse to do so are going to be rejected. John 12, 42 and 43, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So the king has no interest in secret disciples, people who hold the faith of, of, of Christ, but they hold it in a quiet way. People who realize who he is and who believe in who he is, but are not courageous enough to tell others about their faith. True discipleship empowers us to act boldly and helps us to be willing to endure whatever proclaiming our faith gets us, whatever problems we have to face because of that. Confession is not just a statement made when we become a Christian. It's an ongoing thing. But also love for the king. How else do I show my love? By a purified life. It's not just living as a Christian, but having the lifestyle of a Christian. It's not just the sense that, well, I'm a Christian now. We, we recognize, and I hope we've been able to, to see in the course of this, uh, of this series, that there is a distinction between just being a Christian and being a kingdom citizen. 
Uh, I, I don't say that to say those are two separate things. Remember at the beginning of this, th these lessons, we talked about the two errors that we make sometimes. Either we say that the church is the kingdom, and it's always the kingdom, which, by the way, that, that goes back to the premillennialist uh, uh, problems that came up uh, back in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. That was the big fight among uh, the saints back then was premillennialism. And the premillennialists would say that the church and the kingdom were completely separate, that they, they, you know, the kingdom itself is different. And so you'll have an old, a lot of older preachers have problems with this idea that there, there are instances where the church and the kingdom can see, be seen as different things. But we don't want to go so far as to say that the church is never the kingdom. There are some places where the kingdom is the church. But there are other places where we can see plainly that uh, there is a distinction there. And so I have to have the mindset that I'm, I'm living as a kingdom citizen. In Colossians 3, 1 through 3, If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things in the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So you've become a part of Jesus' kingdom. You've become a part of his rule. That needs to be your mindset. And I, I, again, I'm not saying that a mindset of saying that I'm a Christian is bad. We need to have a mindset that we're, we're a Christian. But overall, it's the sense that we cannot allow this idea, which I've heard people uh, describe as Christendom, the idea that, well, you know, there, there's saved people everywhere, and we don't know where all the saved people are. And there's, there's some truth to that to some degree. But let's remember that the seed is there for a reason and that the word produces a certain kind of fruit. And we know that, and we keep that in our minds. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be under the rule of God. I'm going to know who he is. I'm going to make sure that he's the only thing in my life that I'm living for, that I'm making room for, that the only one that I'm loving, truly and holy. Of course, the eternal kingdom is only going to be made up of the faithful. We need to keep that in our minds. We are disciples who resist the world and its influence. Again, Revelation 2.10, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. He's writing to the uh, church at Smyrna. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you'll have tribulation ten days. Be faithful till death. I'll give you the crown of life. There is a resistance to the world, and that resistance comes almost automatically. Holding to the truth of God will put you at odds with the world. There is going to be a natural distance. There's going to be a natural discomfort with people out in the world. And we have to ask ourselves, if I am comfortable with people out there in the world, if I find that my best friends are worldly people, where's my faith? Where's my discipleship? I'm not saying we can't have friends with the outside world. We have to take stock and see in those relationships, there needs to be some kind of uncomfortableness because they're of the world. And especially, of course, uh, I don't think I need to say anything else about those who have distanced themselves from the truth, uh, who have previously been Christians. Again, Revelation 17, 14, they'll make war with the Lamb. There's going to be a war. There is a battle right now. The war ultimately has been won, but the battle is right now over our souls. James 4, verse 4, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
What did Noah do by building the ark and following God's dictates, obeying God? He condemned the world, didn't he? And I'm not sure he did that verbally. (laughs) He may have, but I think he was pretty busy building that ark over the, the time before the flood. We're at odds with the world. And if we're going to be a disciple of the king, we're going to be spiritually separated from the world by God. 2 Corinthians 6, 14-17, that whole passage is about Paul telling the Corinthians, you are not open to us, you're open to all these other influences. And you've got to make yourself separate because God makes you separate. It's not something that we engineer on our own. It's not about just being weird for weird's sake. It's about following God. And whatever comes of that, we embrace that. We embrace that distinction. We embrace that difference. Again, this is part of being faithful. We need to be disciples who commit to an everlasting spiritual existence. Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is a spiritual kingdom, right? Look at Romans 7. We need to ask ourselves, where where am I uh, in the kingdom? I've already kind of dealt with this a little bit in this series, but we typically think of, when we think of eternal life, we think of something far off, right? We think of heaven, as well we should, because that's going to be the fullest extent of this. But the Bible speaks of Christians being in a present eternal existence. Uh, After this course that that Paul kind of goes through, in this section there's this battle within him and there's a resolution at the last two verses of the chapter in romans 7 verse 24 a wretched man that i am who will deliver me from this body of death i thank god through jesus christ our lord so then with the mind i myself serve the law of god but with the flesh the law of sin now that's not talking about in a situation where paul is uh having this mental spiritual purity while in his body he can do whatever he wants no, again, that's speaking of the, the battle between the spirit and the flesh. It's the same thing that Paul is saying in Galatians 5. Walk in the spirit and you will not be pulled into the deeds of the flesh. It is this constant battle that we're fighting to some degree. And the question is, who are we going to allow to, to win? We need to have a mindset. If we're just thinking that we're going to have eternal life down the road, we need to think of this. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. The great thing about having a current understanding, an understanding that I now have as a Christian, I now have eternal life. And that eternal life begins now. It doesn't begin when I die. That eternal life begins now. And I think that idea is, is really borne out in Ephesians. Look at Ephesians 1. You look in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So first of all, we know that Paul's not talking about our cars. He's not talking about our homes. He's not talking about our clothes. He's talking about spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And so he's, he's indicating something there. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 of chapter 1. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Some of the, your translation might say heavenly realms. Or the heavenly realm. Now look at chapter 2, verse 6. 
referring to us. He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look at that. He's talking about something that's already happened for the believers there. Do we have that mindset? I am sitting with Christ. I am with him in heavenly places, in heavenly realms. Even now, I'm not tied to this earth. Yes, in a physical way I am. Yes, I have struggles in this life. But in my spirit and my soul, I'm part of God's kingdom in the heavenly places. That's a great blessing to me. Because it helps me. It helps me to know that whatever happens to me, I can deal with it. I can rise above it. And we're going to develop that thought in just a few minutes. Luke 22, 29 through 30. Jesus says there, I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now he says that specifically, I, I believe, to the apostles. But if we follow that to its logical uh, place, we can understand a little bit that we'll get into in just a little bit. So, so it's an everlasting spiritual existence. We need to be disciples who yearn to grow in the grace of the king. Our aim needs to be to seek the kingdom even in our growth as disciples. First Peter, uh, 2 Peter 1, 5-11, through 11, he talks about add to, your, uh, add to your faith virtue. And he goes on from there, all these things, and he says... If all these things are added to you, you're, you're going to be in a good place. He's going to say to you, you're, you're not going to be blind. You're going to see these things. And he says in verse 11, So an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Again, I, I believe that kind of goes along with what we've been looking at. This idea that you have overall the total kingdom... Within that scope, you've got Christ's kingdom, meaning the total kingdom, again, those of you who, who weren't here for the first lesson, the total kingdom meaning everything everywhere. God reigns over everything. But yet within that scope, you have the kingdom of Christ, those who have voluntarily given themselves over to being Christians. And then within that, of course, not every Christian is going to go to heaven, unfortunately. And so within that, I say not unfortunately, but <laughs> in a sad way, but within that scope, you have the eternal kingdom or the everlasting kingdom as is referred to in here. And so it's the same thing in Romans 1.17. In, in it, the righteousness of God, in the gospel, it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. How am I going from faith to faith? What does that mean? A lot of people might have a lot of different ideas about that. I tend to think that what Paul is getting at there is the idea that from the beginning point of your faith to the end of your life, you're growing in that faith. And so from the beginning faith of your life in Christ to the ultimate faith that you will appreciate at the end of your life. And, and don't we see that? Don't we see, you know, don't we see Christians who reach the end of their life and they're confident? They know where they're going. That's a great blessing, by the way to see older Christians who have that mindset. It's so wonderful to see. We need to be disciples as well who know the judgment of the world is coming. Romans 14.10, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Peter 4.19, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. You know, this is a two-sided thing. On the one hand, we're called to be faithful to God, and part of that is remembering 
that God is faithful, this faithful creator. He's faithful to what he said. Do we think that God has said that he's going to judge the world for its iniquity? Uh, do we think that when Jesus says that there's going to be a judgment, that all will be called uh, to, to, to that point? Do we think that God said that and he's just not going to follow up on it? Everything in the Bible tells us that that's not the case. And we need to know that we have a faithful creator. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He can't deny himself. So this is coming, this judgment of the world is coming regardless of what we do or, or how we behave. And so we need to know that. We need to have that in our minds that this is something that we're going, and, and it informs so much about what we do. It informs so much about how we stand and, and, and what we say to others. We're going to quickly go through one more point uh, this morning about the idea that the king empowers us to be faithful. How does he do that? And you think about the idea of being faith and, and the discipline of a Christian. We've talked about this overall, uh, I would say, a good bit this year from time to time. If we're just focused on ourselves and our own wills and our own drives, we're going to fail. And we need to lean on God and his grace. And really, first of all, in terms of Jesus' strength, the king empowers us to be faithful. Again, uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What happens to our sins if we're faithful and just to, to, to confess our sins? If we, if we confess our sins, excuse me, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, it goes back to the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ helps us to live righteously in a corrupted, evil world. The problem of faith, the problem of forgiveness is, here's somebody who transgressed the law of God, and yet now God is going to regard him as a blessed son. And in such a way that even the, the scriptures seem to suggest that he looks at him in a similar way uh, as Jesus. Of course, we become righteous through contact with the blood of Christ. And so on the basis of his strength, he empowers us. He empowers us in spite of persecution, by the way. In Acts 14.22, Barnabas and Antioch, he's saying we must through many tri tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And again, I believe that it's the idea of that, that everlasting kingdom, that, that final kingdom after the point of death. In spite of persecution, with the fruit of the Spirit, again, we're living with the knowledge that God has equipped us to meet hatred with love. That's what he's done. He's given us this for a particular reason. And living with the fruit of the Spirit helps us to take this life however that comes. Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Think about the perspective that the king gives us as well. If I have the right kind of perspective, this life is going to be hard, and we know it's going to be trouble from time to time. But think about the perspective that God gives us on our past. 1 Peter 4, 3, We have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. We walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Uh, we, we have this sense where we can look back and we can be honest with ourselves. Paul was honest with himself and honest with those he was speaking to about his past. He owned up to it. And we can own up to our past. That gives us power. Not us power in a sense, but it gives us strength in the sense that I know because I've moved past this. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Uh, the list that he goes through there 
of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified by the Spirit of our God. And so the idea that the story of the gospel contains those who were once terrible, just like we all were, just like we all have been, just like we all are from time to time, but we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You think about Paul and the horrible things he did. Again, 1 Timothy 1.13, he owned up to those things. Zacchaeus, we see a man who uh, cheated people on their taxes and, and other such things. But you know what? He, he makes a motion to Jesus. I'm going to pay that back. I'm going to make that right. And so he's blessed because of that. That's the gospel. Again, uh, again, the Corinthian brethren, these people were behaving awfully. And then we see in, in the second Corinthian letter that it seems like they're doing at least a little bit better at that point. But again, they were saved uh, in that way. Cornelius, here's a man who was doing good things, but he wasn't a kingdom citizen. He wasn't part of what Jesus had done because he hadn't submitted yet to those things. But it was out of ignorance, wasn't it? What, is, what does God say about ignorance versus knowing something in terms of obedience? If you know it and you disobey it, it's going to be worse for you. But Cornelius was ignorant of it, and once he knew it, once he understood it, guess what? He obeyed it. And when Peter showed up at his house, he said, we, wanna, we want to know everything that God wants us to know. That's a great spirit. That's a great, great concept for us to embrace. So kingdom citizens have come from all walks of life, and we all need the same thing. We need the blood of Christ. We need a new beginning. So we gain a perspective on our past from the king. We gain a perspective on our present. Right now, what's going on in the, in, in the world? Well, in a negative aspect, I'm crucified of the old life. Here's some passages about that. Again, don't have time to go over those. We looked at a couple of those. Of course, Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. The idea that I'm with him. I'm dead to the world and alive in Christ. The idea of facing this constant conflict. Sometimes Christians just get wearied by just the constant pressure in life. And we think about these things, you know, I, there are things in the world that, that maybe we'll never experience. Maybe we'll never have that kind of fun. But we're sacrificing those things. We're getting rid of those things. And because of that, it creates conflict. Again, this pressure, this distance between us and others. Uh, the idea of being subject to intense persecution uh, in our lives. Maybe we're made fun of. Uh, certainly the Christians in the first century had a very real negative aspect of that. I live a life, again, of sacrifice, self-denial, and, and service to God. Now think about this too. Again, this links up to some things we've already dealt with. Only the kingdom citizen is equipped to deal with life. And I'm just going to say this. Just, we got a lot of people that have a lot of problems in this life. And yes, we can get usefulness out of uh, uh, different things to combat those things. But if I'm not part of the kingdom, I don't, I'm not prepared to deal with these things at least not in a healthy way. And, you know, all, all people are going to have blessings and sufferings, but what am I doing with the issues of life? God gives me a plan. God gives me a way to deal with these things in a proper way and use them for the overall good of his relationship with God. Uh, so it's this sense that, that we know that these things are going on, but we can deal with these things because we have a king that's given us a way to do that. Positive aspects. We know why we're here. We know where we're going and we know how to get there. That's what our king's given us. He's given us forgiveness, uh, to, be, to be forgiven so that we can be a part of this kingdom. Every life is filled with sin, but only the obedient 
can have the knowledge that these offenses are not, no longer held against them. When you live a life of sin, there is a guilt, I think, personally, that you know in your heart of hearts. Why do we see so many people who are sinners? They don't want to obey the gospel. Why? Because they want to hold on to their sin. And even then, that doesn't give them happiness, and we know that to be true. Only the kingdom of citizens can go on with their life with the confidence that they can face God without fear of having to answer for the guilt of these offenses because, again, we've been cleansed. We have an inner peace that's given from this Father, from this Savior. And I really connect at this point to the idea that God rested on the seventh day. After he created the world, he rested. And throughout the scope of the Bible... God is calling us to enter into that rest. I think that's what's being talked about in the book of Hebrews, that a rest remains for the people of God. God has this great peace and this, uh, this control that he enjoys, and he wants to invite us into that. We have that access to him. We have that access to the blood of his son. We have comfort and support, not just from God, of course, but from our fellow Christians. And we need to be seeking that out. What a wonderful blessing that is to have fellow Christians that we can lean on and appreciate. We have growth and development in the kingdom. We're not just stuck in some place and we're expected to just do the same thing over and over. We do a lot of repetitive things, you might say, but we grow in these things. The work of God assists in achieving this. And perhaps most important, we have hope. We have hope in a world that seems to be without hope. And we can glory in that, and we can appreciate that. So perspective on our past, perspective on our present, and perspective on our future. Again, these are things that really start now. The idea that we're kings and priests, Revelation 1-6. We reign in life through righteousness, Romans 5-17. We reign with the apostles, 1 Corinthians 4-8. Reigning by righteous judgment, reigning by enduring, reigning by overcoming. Uh, all these things. Again, we don't have time to go deeply into those things, but the idea of ruling over the nations I think is very real because we hold to a king that reigns over them. And by obeying him and being a part of what he is, you share in the fruits of his labor and the fruits of his conquest. We have a great future given to us. And even now, I think we gain benefits of our choice to follow God. And maybe if we're not seeing that, if that's not something that's real to us, maybe we need to look back at it again and appreciate what God gives us. Again, have you gained the kingdom? Are you a part of the kingdom? He wants you to be saved. And to be saved, you have to join the kingdom. To do so, you have to give yourself, submit yourself to be ruled by the king. That means whatever he says, I will do it. Whatever he gives me to do or to say or to be, I will do it. And I will not make up any excuses. I will not try to worm my way out of the ways that he has established. I will follow my king regardless of what happens. Again, I hope this series of lessons has been useful to you. If you are not a Christian this morning, we encourage you to think about that. If you are a Christian and you realize that you've been wrong, you need to have the prayers of the saints or just some basic encouragement. We want to invite you to come forward while we stand and sing.